I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. An age-old way to get grape juice for fermenting is to foot-tread grapes. Near the Fertile Crescent and the motherland of vinifera grapes, one of the earliest treading troughs was a hollowed-out tree trunk. This technology spread through the winemaking world, and soon different regions were coming up with their own ways to tread grapes and collect the juice. By the time wine growing got to ancient Egypt, grape treading was somewhat of an art form. Paintings in the tomb of Nacht depict some early Egyptians treading grapes in a vat and the juice coming out of a spout at the bottom. The treaders are holding on to handles suspended over the vat to keep them from falling. But Nacht was no pharaoh. He was married to a musician wife, and he himself was a non-royal scribe who studied the stars in order to help pick the dates for special festivals. His tomb depicts many quotidian events, plowing, harvesting, and winemaking, and he most likely helped to pick the dates for harvest festivals. Many regions used wood containers in which to tread, similar to large barrels. Some regions adopted shallow troughs. In fact, shallow treading troughs made of stones held together with mortar were used in Jerusalem and can still be seen there today. Even now, shallow troughs are commonplace in Portugal, where you'll find ligares in the Douro. These shallow vats are often made of cement, and nowadays you see stainless steel ones too. And they are meant to keep the liquid around knee length. The wide, large vats also spread out the cap more so that more juice is in contact with the skins, and you get a richer extraction, which is especially great for those powerful vintage ports. Because grape treading was such a time-sensitive activity that needed to be carried out just after the harvest, extra labor was needed which in most rural areas meant that the entire community gathered for this event. Harvest festivals, dances, and music associated with grape treading emerged in many cultures and regions. Music and dance certainly made the stomping less monotonous. Mechanical presses, like the basket press, became more popular in ancient Rome, with giant screws bearing wood slabs down on the grapes, where the juice was able to flow out of slatted sides. For many centuries, basket presses and foot treading occurred simultaneously. So much so that the methods were often curiously blended, 
in medieval manuscript imagery. Today, we have all sorts of presses, bladder presses, high-tech basket presses, crushers and destemmers, and even crushers that are made to mimic and simulate foot stomping. But despite the boons of technology, in just about every region, you'll find several producers who still choose to foot tread their grapes. Many talk about an unparalleled quality of tannins and phenolic matter that the gentle foot crushing is able to achieve. Others mention the introduction of microorganisms that can help start and sustain the fermentation. For some wineries, it's about sustaining the culture of the crush with dances and songs. And for others, it's a way to connect with the very beginnings of winemaking. Stay tuned to hear what's afoot at one winery that uses foot treading to crush grapes. I'm sorry, that was a callous pun. Let's try again. These wines are solely important. No, no, that's not quite right either. What pairs well with Barolo? Piggies. What drum group would be great at winemaking? Stomp. I've been lucky enough to try some amazing wines while traveling over the years. Unfortunately, I've found that some of those same wines are really hard to find here in the United States. Whenever I run into trouble finding a favorite bottle, I go to idealwine.com and they have what I'm looking for. Whether it is a hard-to-source bottle of Burgundy or a micro-production natural wine like I Need the Sun by Domaine de Miroir, I know there's a chance that Ideal Wine might have it available. And Ideal Wine's entire Paris inventory is available to American customers with just a click. The process is seamless, the site is easy to use, and orders are shipped directly to you. Head over to idealwine.com, that's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com, to see for yourself what you could be drinking. Fabio Alessandria of the GB Berlotto Winery back on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Levy. I'm very fine. Very nice to have you here. Thank you to invite me. Your estate is located in Verduno, in the Barolo zone. Yeah, right. Verduno is, a, is one of the first villages included in the Barolo zone, and we can say it's the, the northern village of Barolo area. So it's a little bit further north than any of the other zones in Barolo. Yeah, exactly. It's more in the north, very close to the River Tanner. And how does that affect the growing conditions in the region? Uh, the River Tanner influences a lot. The, the, I think that it influences a lot the, the uh, microclimate of Verduno. Because uh, especially Montvillier, no, you know, Montvillier is the northern vineyard of Verduno, the northern vineyard of Barolo area. And uh, as the best vineyard uh, in Barolo area, uh, it's south face, uh, it's the, the soil is very white, the altitude is uh, around 300 meters. So during the summer, it could be warm, no? Uh, but uh, the, 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 the river tunnel, it makes uh, like a breeze, it makes like a fresh current that it brings down the temperature during the, during the summer night, no? This is very important for me because uh, Verdun in general, but Montvillero, especially in Montvillero, we have a, a lot of uh, big excursion thermic between night and day. And this is important for, uh, for the characteristic of the wine. And I think we can note 
uh, that we can feel that in the in the Barolo made in Monviero because uh, the the wine uh, made in Monviero they shows always uh, the 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 perfect maturity of the tanning. No, they show always the the silky tanning, the very gentle tanning. That because the 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 grape ripe very well in Monviero, but in the other hands uh, we are all, always in the wine a kind of freshness. No. Like, uh, the wine are a little bit lighter than uh, lighter and more aerian, we can say than uh, than uh, Barolo made in some other area, no? And uh, I think that uh, this is due for the soil, but also for the uh, special microclimate in Verduno, but especially in Monviglio. So Monviglio is a vineyard that once you get past it, you're no longer in Barolo. Monviglio is one of the historical ill of the Barolo area. My great-great-grandfather was uh, one of the pioneers, we can say one of the father, one of the pioneers of the Barolo. And uh, he already understood the, the, the importance of the vineyard in the wine quality. You know, he, he was very, very, very focused in the quality. You, know, you can see the, the, all the medals, all the prizes that he won in the, the end of 1800, beginning of 1900 for the quality of the wine. You know, he was obsessed by the quality. And uh, this, this was the reason, I think, because he already, at that time, he started to buy vineyard in the best uh, Bastille, like Montvillier or like Anub, you know, because he uh, believed a lot in the quality in the quality of the grape. And also, at the time, if at the time it was normal for a seller to buy grape, as he did, uh, because he, he bought grape, but he would like to. He, he wanted to be sure that uh, he had the possibility to have, to have every year gray from Monvillero and Canubi. So that was GB Berlotto. See, exactly. And he was one of the first people to bottle Barolo. Yeah, the legends say that the the legends say the first one. I don't know exactly if it if he was the first one, but Barolo was born in the middle of eighteen hundred, and he worked in that period. He was one of the most important producer at that time. He produced the wine for the royal family. And uh, he won a lot of medals, uh, no, that at the time in the, in the, the, the exhibition, uh, they, they were very, very important, not to, to build the, the, the status of the, the seller. And you're located in Verduno, and how many wineries are in Verduno today? Uh, today, allora, uh, we can say five, six, or seven. Let me, let me. I don't remember. Always, uh, yeah, I remember all because we are all friends. But exactly number, I have to, I have to say, uh, Fratelli Alessandria, Castello di Verduno, uh, Belcolle, Poderi Rosette, Diego Morra, Corona Teresina, Cascina Massara, Burlotto Giancarlo. And I hope I don't forget anyone. <laughs> so, less than 12. Less than 12, yeah. Less than 12. Uh, there are 12 labels of Pelaverga. Pelaverga is another grape uh, historically cultivated in, in Verduno. There are 12 labels of Pelaverga, but some producers make uh, Pelaverga, but are not in Verduno. Just uh, vinified grape uh, cultivated uh, in Verduno or La Mora or Rodi. And the town of Verduno is, is about, what, a few hundred people? 500. 500 people live in Verduno, yeah. Several of the other wineries are 
related by blood somehow to your own family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, my surname is Alessandria because my father was one of the three brothers, Alessandria. And when he got married with my mother, Marina Burlotto, he decided to left the, the family business and uh, start a new life, uh, work life with my, my mother. So they, he was part of the Fratelli Alessandria yeah, winery? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And then your mother's related to the Castello di Verduno. Exactly, because uh, uh, the father of my mother, my grandfather, and the father of Lisetta, Gabriella, and Lili, they were brothers. No, uh, they, they were. Um, G.B. Burlotto had just one son, Francesco, and uh, three nephews. And uh, they, they split the, the property. And uh, my my grandfather as was the unique one, the unique of the free brother, who loved to work in wine, who loved the vineyard, who loved the, the the work in the cellar. So his father decided to leave the name G.B. Burlotto, the cellar G.B. Burlotto, and the best vineyard Armon Villero and Canubi to my grandfather Ignazio. Uh, the other brother. Heritated the Castello di Verduno, and uh, the third brother heritated uh, another farm, uh, Cascina Massara. And what are the major vineyards of the Verduno area? The major vineyard, uh, we can say the Monviglier for sure is the more uh, prestigious, the more well known vineyard. Uh, but anyway, the, the surface uh, uh, planted. Uh, with Nebbiolo grape in Verduno is not so big. And uh, Montvillier is the vineyard very well known. But we can say that uh, Verduno is so small that we have quality in uh, all the, the vineyard planted with Nebbiolo. With different soil, different exposition, because, for example, Montvillier is the extremely north. While Rocchiolme and Neirane, they are, for example, the extremely south, border to, border to Amora. And so from this veneer, it changed a lot because it changed a little bit the soil, it changed the altitude, it changed the exposition. And also the characteristics of the wine, for sure, are different. And for example, in the latest year, we are appreciating more and more the vineyard with a microclimate a little bit more fresh, you know, like Rocco Olmo or like Boscato, you know, south face, 350 meters, a soil with a little bit more clay that it kept better the water. No, so in in a vintage like 2007, 2009, 2011, we are seeing, we are appreciating more and more the quality of wine made in this, this slope, this place. You feel that there's climate change going on? It's changing. A little bit is changing for sure. Uh, I think that it's changing slowly, slowly. I think that this changement till today, it's positive for the Barolo area, I think, because... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite young, I'm only 41 years old, but uh, I talk with my parents sometimes about the vintages in the 70s and uh, the 80s when I was young. And uh, they were, it was a period more difficult for the weather, for sure. Because uh, now we can say that we, we especially in the latest uh, 20 years, we can say we have only good vintages, no? Someone can prefer the vintage more warm because the, the wine usually it's more open, more approachable, more fluidy, more easy drinking. Some other people can prefer the vintage a little bit more 
fresh, no? Because the wine is it's a little bit more classic, more serious. Huh? But anyway, we we are speaking about great vintage, good vintages. Um, Twenty years ago, every ten years uh, they had uh, two, three good vintages. Now we are a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> Uh, more uh, selective, no? And uh, every year we say, okay, it was good, but 10 years ago when it was good, it was good, stop. <laughs> and they were happy. So in a way, you're in a more northern area, so if it gets a little warmer where you are, that might actually be a little helpful in a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think this is one of the reasons because the wine of Verduno, they are more and more noted, no? more and more appreciated. This can be a reason. The other reason is because the wine made in Verduno, they have, uh, they are more elegant, no, and so the people more and more is uh, understanding the the elegance in the wine, the elegance in the Barolo. No, uh, uh, some years ago the people believed that the Barolo have to be very concentrated, tannic, uh, and heavy. A Barolo could be tannic and heavy, but some Barolo can be also elegant uh, uh, and more gentle, no? more grace, with more grace. So you make Nebbiolo in Canubi, and then you also make Nebbiolo in Monvigliero and then other Verduno vineyards. Si. So Canubi is in the Barolo zone. Yeah. And how do you find the Nebbiolo that you make in Canubi to be different from the Verduno Nebbiolo? It is different. It is different. Barolo made in Canubi, it still have a kind of uh, elegance, no? But uh, in the end, uh, the texture of the wine, it's a little bit different. Uh, the finish of the palate, it's a little bit more austere, no? Uh, we have more pressure in tanning, no? And the wine could be a little bit bigger in the taste. And many people think that, um, what is strange is that uh, in Canubi, we have more sand, and usually uh, where we where there is more sand, the wine is more elegant. But uh, Canubi is something strange. No, in Canubi we have more sand than in uh, Montbiero, but the wine have a little bit more power, uh, a little bit more tannic pressure than in Montbiero. And those are two vineyards that, when you harvest the Nebbiolo, you handle them differently. See, um, we ferment, um, so um, a part of Mon the part of Montvillier that we utilize for the Aclivi is fermented as we uh, ferment uh, Canubi. But the part of the grape that we utilize for the Barolo single vineyard Montvillero, they are vinified in totally different way than Canubi. Uh, for Montvillero, we don't distem, distem the grape. So we do a all cluster fermentation. We just put the grape in uh, open vet tanks of oak, where we ferment all our red wines. We just go inside, we crush the grape by the feet because we don't want to cut the, the stems. We don't want to, to have pressure with the stem. And after we do a very, uh, we do a skin contact very, very long for around two months. For Canubi, we work in a different way. We work more in a classic way. So we distem the grape uh, and we do a skin contact, uh, shorter skin contact around two, three weeks, independent of vintage, with some pumping over and some pouching down. So, what do you think whole cluster brings to a wine? You know, we 
do your cluster fermentation for Montvilliero because we think they exalt the characteristic of Montvilliero. Uh, we think that all cluster fermentation in Montvilliero give the wine an extra dimension in the deepness, in the uh, complexity of the texture, and it, it exalts the brightness, the freshness that is typical of Montvilliero. So it's a way that where we can obtain the same in the same moment a little bit. Uh, we, where we can exhale the freshness, the brightness of the Monviero, but we can have uh, a little bit more deepness, uh, a little bit more uh, a texture, more long, uh, and more uh, another quality of tanning in the mount. And what about treading the grapes by foot? Does that give a different kind of extraction? Yeah, we we treat the grape by the f- by foot because uh, uh, we don't want to crush the stem. We don't want to cut the stem because the stem is it's another source of tanning. Uh, it's uh, the, the stems can um, can give us a very high quality of tanning that helps uh, the wine to to age well. But in the other hand, so we have to be we have to pay attention. Don't cut the stem. Uh, because we want to avoid the extraction of uh, uh, green aroma and green tanning in the, in the, in the moment year. So this is the reason also because we do submerge a cap uh, with a very, very gentle vinification. It's more an infusion than an extraction. And Monvigliero often has a, a wild strawberry or raspberry note, as you pointed out to me once. Yeah, that's true. Where does that, do you think, come from? Uh, from the vineyard. From the vineyard. Also, if you vinify Montvilliero in a more classic way, as when we vinify Montvilliero for the Aclivi, we always have this strawberry. Uh, what we see, what we are seeing, that with the all classic fermentation, we maintain a strawberry aroma for longer time. While when we when we ferment Montvilliere in the uh, normal way, we can say, in the, the same in the grape, we have uh, this strawberry in the beginning and sometimes we lose during the, the aging in the barrel. And when did you begin the whole cluster on the Montvigliero? In what year? I didn't introduce anything so in, in the cellar for Montvigliero, so it's not, uh, uh, it's not uh, my invention, it's not my, my grandfather made all the baron that way. So it's a, a tradition of the family. No? And today we conserve this vinification form of year because we we think that exalt the characteristic of the vineyard. But uh, my grandfather in Yazzo produced all the baron in that way. And what about the press that you use? How do you go about pressing the wine? We utilize a very simple and small pneumatic press. Very small because we love to move the press very close to the tanks after fermentation, no? because we love to to put directly the grape into the press without um, use the pump, no? because uh, uh, if you utilize the pump with the, skin, the fermented skin, you can, uh, you can really have uh, green tanning, uh, vegetal tanning, tanning that it doesn't ripe, never. And so sometimes you can't you can't working with pump you can't utilize the wine from the press no while putting the, the, the skin by hands into the press 
we can utilize the the the, the, the first one who come out uh, with lower pressure, no? Because the the the, the first uh, pressed wine is very very rich in perfume and uh, uh, quite quite rich also in tanning, no? It, it, it give the wine a little bit more structure and uh, the the. It's very important for the aroma of the wine. No, it's very rich in precursor of the aroma. So, I think it's it's good to preserve this this quality wine. Yeah. So, in the red wines, you utilize a bit of the pressed wine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just the first wine who come out from the press. The the the, um, the wine uh, who, who come out with high pressure. No. We don't utilize for the blend, but just the first wine, no, at lower pressure. I think it uh, give the wine something. And you don't pump it. No, we don't pump the skin, the fermented skin. This is very important. No, we go directly in the barrel. In the we go directly in the open fat tanks, and we put directly the grape into the press. How does it go with the mallow? The mallow, yeah. So, if we speak about the the, the young the, the, the young wine, no, uh, like Pelaverga, like Barbera, like Dolcetto, usually we do the malo in steel tanks immediately after the acolyte fermentation because we think that in this moment we preserve more the freshness, no, the wine a little bit more pure, more fresh, more fruity, and also. Uh, we bottled the wine a little bit earlier, so if also the mallow, it's a little bit earlier, is better for the natural stability of the wine. Uh, concerning the Barolo, um, after the acolyte fermentation, we go directly in oak, in the big, big cask of oak, so the mallow happens when it happens. So, so you don't induce it? No. Uh, we don't warm the cellar, so sometimes it happens after the acolyte fermentation, Sometimes it, it happens during the winter, sometimes in the spring, sometimes in the summer. And, you know, we note that uh, the origin of the grape is really important for the mallow. You, know? uh, you note that some vineyard do the mallow a little bit earlier than some other vineyard. Putting the wine in the same condition. No? Do you find a different character to wines that take longer to go through mallow? See, I think so. I think so. It seems that we have a little bit better stability of the wine. It seems that the wine it, it bring a little bit more structure. We probably we have a little bit more stability in the color, and also I don't want to warm the wine. So I love that the mallow it happens a lower temperature, and slowly, slowly, slowly. This is important uh, because of the variation in. The, during the mallow, we have also a variation of the pH. So, so if this variation it happens slowly, slowly, I think that the wine slowly, slowly, it's more stable. No, a lot of times when I see Berlotto from an earlier era, you know, the '60s, I don't see single vineyard crews on there. When do you think that it started to happen? That but nobody in the '60s, I think in the '50s for sure. In the '60s. Really few uh, start to producing Ovinia. The tradition of the Barolo is a tradition of the blend. All the winemakers believe more in the blend than in a single vineyard. Everybody 
at that time in the 50s, in the 60s, every seller produced just one Barolo and a really good vintage, the Barolo Reserva. And stop. And, uh, and the Barolo and the Barolo Reserva, but they were made always with a blend from different vineyard and sometimes from different village. And when do you think that the Barlotto started to do single crews? In 82. In, in 82, 82 vintage, my parents uh, started to produce Montvillard and Canopy, single vineyard. What was the history of your parents working with the estate? It was a period not so easy because my grandfather was uh, very young. Uh, his late, latest vintage was um, 68. And he died when, when my, my mother was uh, 17, 18. And my mother was the unique daughter. And so uh, it was not easy for my mother and for, uh, for her mother to continue the work in the cellar. Fortunately, they, they had uh, really nice people, really nice guys who helped my, my grandfather, who, who, and they, everybody, they all together try to manage the cellar, not try to go on. And uh, later in the 71, my mother got married with my father. And so slowly, slowly, they, they, they rebuild, no, a little bit. Not they rebuild because the, the production always, uh, they, it, we, they never stopped, no, but of course, uh, uh, for a few years, uh, they had a little bit. It was a little bit more problematic, no. How big was the estate in the eighties? How many hectare of vineyards? In the eighties, uh, the, the, the uh, we were a little bit uh, smaller in hectare, and uh, at that time we uh, bought uh, some grape uh, of Dolcetto and Barbera. Uh, we never bought gray from uh, Nebbiolo, but we bought at the time a uh, few, few kilo, some kilo of Barbera and Dolcetto. How many vineyards do you think the state was composed of? At the time, uh, Canubi, Monviero, also if today Monviero the property is bigger, Breri, Neirane. So today, speaking about Barolo, we have Rocchiolmo more, we have Boscato more. And uh, the property in Montvillier is bigger. So it's, you have more vineyards now than then? Yeah, we have more vineyards now. And yeah. some of those are pretty key vineyards. Yeah, of course. Uh, especially we uh, today the, the, the property in Montvillier is bigger. And uh, we are happy uh, to have both uh, vineyard in Rocoma and Boscato because uh, I think this it will be the place for the for the weather of today, no? Oh, I see. So as climate change starts to happen, you think those vineyards are going to become more and yeah. more important? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, we are seeing that. We'll see. We don't know how the weather will be. For example, in the recent two vintages, uh, the weather was not so warm. In 2013, 2014, uh, we had a really cold summer. Fortunately, a good fall, but not so warm, no? So, uh, 2013, 2014, we can say that they are really true classic vintage for Nebbiolo. So, you started to work with the winery in 1994. See. And you were also in school at that time. Yeah, I finished my technical school in Alba in 94. And from 94 till 99, I studied in the University of Viticulture and Technology. And 
I already helped my parents in the cellar. I, in '94, I start to, you know, I start to experiment. I start to w- work with some specific wine. Did you feel that you changed the situation or altered things? Well, you know, fortunately, I have the same taste in wine of my parents. So when we, also if I was young, and also my parents, they are young because they are 63 now. So uh, we, there is not a big step in generation. There is a step, of course, because son and parents, but, uh, but anyway, 20 years is not a lot. And fortunately, uh, we, we have the same taste in wine. And uh, so I didn't feel the necessity to change everything. No, I start to improve. I start to, to do something better for preserving the, the style of the cellar. What do you think that those improvements turned out to be? I hope to to uh, to have made something something better. It's difficult to say which was the factor, but anyway, more attention, more attention, and uh, anyway, one people work, one people more work in the cellar is one people more in a family business. It's important, so we had more time to dedicate to the wine, to the vineyard, and this is one factor, and. Um, Sincerely, I can tell you which was the which were the things. But uh, anyway, I, I I try to improve the style of the cellar to to do something better. Hmm? And your parents still work with the winery today? Yeah, they are still working too much, <laughs> too much. Uh, and uh, yeah, my father when I start to help. Um, well, my parents in the my my father always preferred to work in the vineyard than in the cellar, honestly. And so when he started to help uh, help them, he he told me immediately, Fabio, here, these are the key of the cellar. <laughs> I'm here, but uh, please, I go in the country, and uh, if you want, you can uh, you can spend more time in the cellar, and I spend more time in the vineyard, and so. And so I did. Uh, today, uh, honestly, and it was a good thing also for me because in the beginning I was more attracted by the cellar than in the vineyard. Today I'm changing a little bit. I'm going more and more in the vineyard. I don't know. It seems that uh, uh, everybody, you know, uh, when uh, all the winemakers, when they are young, they prefer the cellar, and slowly, slowly they go in the vineyard. No, it's uh, the life probably. And did you have siblings? I have um, I have a sister that fortunately um, she's an architect, but uh, she's starting to appreciate more and more the work of the family, and uh, from January she's helping us in the office. And what are the grapes that you grow? Considering the, the red variety, we always uh, were very focused in our. Red variety, typical red variety. So we never planted uh, Cabernet, Merlot, or Shiraz. We never experiment with, with this with this kind of grape. Uh, and we uh, we cultivate the, the free classic grape, uh, Piemontese grape, uh, uh, Nebbiolo, Barbera, and Dolcetto. 
we have a small vineyard with Fraser. And uh, we are a little bit more lucky in Verduna because we have also the Palaverga. Palaverga. Yeah. The native grape variety of Verduna. See, it was, it was strange, but Pelaverga was cultivated only in Verduno, in, historically. Now, from the 95, we have the appellation, the DOC, Verduno Pelaverga, who limit the area of production to the village of Verduno, plus a small part of the village of La Mora and a small part of the village of Rodi border to Verduno. The production is still very small today because only, if I remember well, only 15 hectares of Pelaverga we have. In total, eh, all the producers together, and um, around 130,000 bottles a year. What is Pelaverga like to grow? Pelaverga uh, love the best place. Pelaverga, we we can say that we plant Pelaverga when where we have Nebbiolo. Pelaverga, it's a grape that love the the best exposition, love uh, east, uh, south, and west, like and love the same soil of Nebbiolo. It's not so difficult to cultivate. Uh, it's a uh, it's, uh, grape, uh, quite generous also in the production. We have to pay attention, uh, especially during the, the last moment of the maturity, because uh, it's quite sensitive to the botrytis. So in the, in the last moment of the maturity, we have to pay more attention. And... Uh, it's, uh, it's also a grape that is not so easy to vinify because Pelaverga is very, very sensitive variety, no? It's, it's a variety that it feels very, it feels a lot the hands of the winemaker because it's so delicate, so gentle, that uh, we have to be very gentle with, uh, with this kind of grape. And what about Fraser? What's that like to grow? Yeah, yeah. Fraser, it's, uh, you know, Fraser is very, is uh, related to Nebbiolo, no? Uh, the University of Turin think that uh, Fraser is the precursor of Nebbiolo. Fraser is the parent of the Nebbiolo. A large part of DNA in Fraser and Nebbiolo is the same. Fraser is another variety who love the best place. And this probably is the reason because the production of Fraser is getting lower, is getting down, is suffering Nebbiolo Fraser. Because, of course, Nebbiolo is more well-known, it's more easy to sell. Fraser is a variety, a little bit more rustic, so it, it needs a lot of attention, it, it needs the best place. For example, our yield in Fraser is lower than Nebbiolo because the tiny of Fraser doesn't arrive very well as the tiny of the Nebbiolo. Fraser is a variety, very rich in tanning, and more rustic tiny if you want. So you have to pay attention to the quality of the phenolic ripening, no? And so a lot of effort, and, uh, and uh, not so good market, no? And uh, this is the reason because the I think the Fraser is, uh, the production of Fraser is decreasing a little bit. Yeah. And what's a grape like Barbera like to grow in a region like Verduno? Yeah, in a, in a, you know, we, in Verduno, in, uh, Verduno, the, the surface of Verduno is not completely in the air of Barolo. So this is, could be not so positive. <laughs> But in the other hands, is positive for the other variety, you know, because uh, 
where you can play Nebbiolo for Barolo, it's easy that the producer leave the best place to produce uh, Barolo, no? Reserve, it's normal that we make a reserve the best place to produce uh, Barolo. As in Verduno, we have a part of the soil not included in the Barolo area. In that part, also with good exposition huh? and good soil, we can plant variety as Pelaverga, as, as Barbera. We, for example, have Barbera in position like Neirane or like Astenia, and that was, and we have also vineyard in Cadia. Uh, Cadia is a vineyard in Rodo village. It's Cadia is uh, the first hill of uh, the first vineyard of Rodi, and Cadia is bordered to Movier. Movier is, is the latest vineyard in Verduno, and after start the village of Rodi, and Cadia is the first. Uh, the first vineyard. And so we have, we have Barbera in Cadilla uh, and in Verduno uh, village in uh, Castagna and Nevane area. And does it respond differently in those? They respond differ differently. Cooler. Yeah. cooler uh, so um, Verduno is cooler than, than Rodi. Um, also because uh, uh, Cadilla, uh, Cadilla Vineyard is completely, completely south uh, and the altitude is lower, is around 250-280 meters. But it's not too bad because uh, Barbera loves more than a viola the warmer vintage. Oh, uh, the backbone of the Barbera is the acidity. No? And uh, of course, uh, when the vintage is too fresh, too cold. Sometimes the acidity of Barbera is not balanced in wine. So I think that Barbera prefer the, the warmer vintage than the cooler vintage. Now, for example, 2014. 2014, it's a, we are tasting now the wine, we are evaluate, evaluating now the wine, but uh, slowly, slowly we are appreciating a lot the Nebbiolo. Barbera, for Barbera, it's a little bit more difficult. And probably in 2014, we don't make our selection of Barbera Aves because we prefer to, to utilize also the best quality grape for the classic Barbera to improve, to maintain our standard level of the classic Barbera. So generally, you make two Barberas? We make two Barbera, yeah. The classic Barbera and the Aves. But in 14, you may not. Probably no. We see... But uh, today, the first tasting, the first analysis, uh, um, no, we think that probably the, the, the basic Barbera need the grape, need the best grape that we usually utilize for others because we want, to, it's important for us to produce a good classic Barbera. And uh, when it's possible to produce a selection, we do. But when it is not possible, it's better to bring some decision. And Dolcetto, what's that like to grow in the Verduno zone? Yeah, in Verduno zone, we, we have Dolcetto in uh, two vineyards, in one part in Irene, and in the, the and we say Imperno, with uh, the bottom of the Neirane, no? Uh, in the end of Neirane and Castagna also, no? Le, uh, in uh, down Castagna, uh, going down to Castagna. So not the Monforte Pernal, but uh, Verduno. No, no, Verduno Perno. Verduno Perno, yeah. No, we have two vineyards in Verduno and one vineyard in Cadia, in Rotti. Does it react differently there than it might in other zones? 
I think that the difference between Rodi and Verduno is the same than Barbera, also because uh, it's not so not so easy anymore to find a vineyard with Dolcetti in south position. So, but you know, Dolcetto sometimes the, the south position for Dolcetto is too much. No, uh, sometimes Dolcetto uh, for our for our idea of Dolcetto. Oh, for our idea of Dolcetto, because we love the Dolcetto to maintain the fragrance of Dolcetto to maintain the drinkability. Not, not too much better, not too much easy. Oh, uh, we love the Dolcetto with personality, with character. But that maintain a kind of fragrance, a kind of drinkability. You know? The wine have to be pleasant to drink. So also some exposition more west or more east, more fresher in the bottom of the valley, in the bottom of the hill, be good for Dolcetto. Yeah. So you make one bottling of Dolcetto, one bottling of Frasier, yeah. one bottling of Pelaverga. Exactly. Two Barbera. Yeah. And then how many Nebbiolo do you make? We produce the Lange Nebbiolo with the young vine, with the younger vineyard, or with a part of the vineyard that in, that in a specific vintage we believe doesn't have the potential to produce a good Barolo. So prefer to produce a good Langenebiol. And after, we produce four different kinds of Barolo. Monvillier and Canubi single vineyard, and two Barolo where we still work with the old philosophy of the blend. So the Barolo classic and the Barolo Aclivi. Aclivi, we can say, is the old concept of the Barolo uh, Reserva. So it's a selection of the best part of our vineyard and the best, the best blend that we can do for the vintage. So a Clivy is kind of a, a Barolo Reserva for you. You know, we don't call a Clivy Reserva. Uh, it's, we say that it's made with the old concept of the Reserva, but till today we don't label as Reserva. We'll see in the future. We don't love to match the name Reserva, the name Superiore, because of, uh, you know, it seems like a, an old concept of the Italy, no? uh, that uh, just because the wine is old is better. No? And I, I don't think so. Uh, the wine is better because uh, the vineyard is good, because of the selection of the grape, uh, because the grower pay more attention. Uh, but not just because it's old, just because uh, we wait longer time in the cellar. No? And... For the rules, Reserva mean more time in the cellar. So we would like to call a Clevy Reserva, and we can wait one year more. This is not a problem. But in the other hand, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, for me, it means like an old concept of Italian wine. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Perhaps in the future we will change the idea. And for the Nebbiolo, it's mostly Lampia, or you make Mickey? Oh, in Verduno, uh, you know, Lampia, Miche, Rosé, Bolla, uh, this we can say is uh, quite an old concept concerning Nebbiolo because recently the University of Turin demonstrated that uh, Bolla and Lampia have the same DNA, so Bolla doesn't exist. Uh, Miche is a Lampia with a virus, so it's a Lampia a little bit sick who produce less, who produce less vegetation also, no? because it's a little bit more tired, no? it's a little bit sick. So, Mickey is Lampia, genetically. 
And rosé, we can say, is not an abiolo. It's another variety. Honestly, in Verduno, also in the past, there was not a lot of rosé. There was not a rosé. I think this is normal. It's uh, because rosé is um, it's a kind of nebbiolo. It's a kind of variety to give the wine more elegance, more finesse, more perfume. And in uh, in Verduno, we can say that the soil already gives us elegance, perfume, and balance. So we can say we don't need rosé. Uh, so in our vineyard, we have mostly Lampia and a part of Mickey. And what's it like to grow those two things in the same vineyard? What do you notice? We grow quite in the same way, uh, Mickey and Lampia. Mickey, especially in a very, very old clone, is very, very inconstant in the production. So usually the pruning is a little bit longer. Oh, it is the... The old way to prune in Nebbiolo is a very, very long branch, no? Because of, uh, especially in the past, the, uh, the Nebbiolo grape didn't produce in the first uh, one, two, three bud break, uh, bud, no? So the, the first three buds on the, on the on, branch often didn't produce grapes. Exactly, exactly. Especially in the clone of the past. Especially in the Mickey. So the people in the past pruned Nebbiolo with a longer branch. Today with the clones, the recent clone, uh, Nebbiolo produced also in the, some clones, not every clones, but some clones produce also in the, in the first, uh, in the first bat. Yeah. It's the difference of how you handle them in the vineyards in terms of the pruning. See, see, see. We are changing also a little bit, uh, the, the, not changing, but we are experimenting also in the vineyard some different way of Cuyo, no? Because the vineyard, hopefully Nebbiolo, not a lot. Nebbiolo is a variety quite uh, resistant, but um, in the in, uh, in some other variety like Pella Verga, like Sauvignon, like Barbera, uh, we have more and more disease uh, concerning the the wood. You no, know, like Esca. I don't know mm-hmm. how do you translate in English Esca or or also Flavicenza Dorata. You know? And especially for the Esca. Probably, if we make some modification to the way of pruning, we can reduce the risk and we can um, increase the the life, the age of the plants. So we are experimenting some new guillot pruning to have uh, to increase the longevity of, of our plants. Because sometimes people say Esca's carried on pruning shears in, in cuts, so it might go from vine to vine through the action of pruning. Yeah, this is a, this is a problem. Yeah, and also probably the big problem is to is to make big cat. More the cat is big, more the 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 way for the infection is big, and more the plants. Uh, make efforts to close no the the cats no and so uh, we are studying some pruning to in order to limit the big cats and to do every year only small catting and you mentioned sauvignon because you make some sauvignon yeah exactly blanc. we didn't speak about sauvignon blanc my my parents were the first uh, were the first uh, 
who planted Sauvignon Blanc in Barolo area. Yeah, they planted the first vineyard of Sauvignon Blanc in 86. And they planted Sauvignon Blanc because uh, at that time they, they felt the, the, the pleasure, they felt, the, yeah, the pleasure to experiment, to work with a, a wine variety. And, uh, you know, in the region we don't have a lot of tradition uh, of white wine. We don't have a lot of white grape because uh, the Arnais is more... It's more traditional, uh, it's more typical in the Roero area. In Langa, we had some vineyard with Favorita. But the idea of my parents was to produce a white wine with a longer life, with a little bit more complexity than Favorita. Favorita. With Favorita, you can produce some really good wine, fresh, fruity, easy drinking. But the, uh, the idea of my parents was to produce a wine with a little bit more complexity. And so they, they loved Sauvignon Blanc. They had the, the, the right piece of land uh, for Sauvignon Blanc. And so they planted. And we are happy with Sauvignon Blanc. And in, uh, the, in the soil where we plant Sauvignon Blanc, we have also some, some chalkiness. Because Verduno, the soil of Verduno is quite complicated. No? We have two different types of soil in Verduno. We say the soil, Tortonian soil, that is typical for the Barolo. And the Messinian soil, in the, in the part of Verduno where we have more, uh, the part of Verduno, the, the Messinian part of Verduno, we have a little bit of chalk in the soil. And this is good for Sauvignon Blanc. This is good also for Peraverca. And so, today we produce two different kinds of Sauvignon, also Viridis and Dives. And the difference there is how you age it in wood, right? Yeah, the difference is uh, Dives, it, it comes from the, the older, older part of the vineyard, the first, the, the, the vineyard that my parents uh, planted in 86. And Dives is fermented and aged in barrel of acacia. While Viridis, it comes from the younger part of the vineyard and is made only in steel tanks. Because in Viridis, we try to keep the freshness, the crispiness of the Sauvignon Blanc. While in Dives, we try to exalt the, the complexity and we can say the minerality of the Sauvignon Blanc. What's it like to work with acacia? You know, we love acacia for Sauvignon Blanc because uh, it's a way to exalt a profile of Sauvignon Blanc. And we think that. Uh, the, the match between oak and Sauvignon Blanc is not so easy. Uh, so the acacia is a, is a kind of wood, a little bit more neutral. Who preserve better the freshness of Sauvignon Blanc because uh, it's, uh, um, the oxygen, the acacia is more close to the oxygen. No? It's, more, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of wood more reductive, no? we can say. And less invasive, less aromatic. And so it, it permits us to, to have a certain kind of evolution, uh, also a certain kind of texture in the mount, without having the, the classic oaky aroma. No? For the reds, you ferment everything in wood. We ferment all our red in open vet tanks of oak. Yeah, in general, we for the aging we utilize only big, we utilize big cask of oak just for the selection of Barbera, Aves, and for the blend of Nebbiolo and Barbera we uh, work with smaller cask. 
Demi Mui. 500 is a big. For all, all the other wine that we produce, uh, we just utilize big cask of oak, the classic botti. So fermenting in open wood, open top wood, and then aging in large wood. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. And you make a blend of Nebbiolo and Barbera? We make a blend of Nebbiolo and Barbera. The name is Morris. Uh, it's the classic Piemontese blend. Um, Barbera and Nebbiolo, they are two variety. We can say quite complementary, you know, because uh, uh, Nebbiolo is a variety, plenty of character, very complex in the nose and more rich in tanning, you know. The backbone of Nebbiolo is the, the, the tanning, no? While Barbera is a variety with a color more intensive, more purple, more violet, more rich in color, more rich in acidity, more rich in fruit, black fruit, while Nebbiolo is more red fruit and spicy and complexity in aroma. So they are two varieties that they match very well together. We do a blend, we do the blend before the fermentation. So it, it's a co-fermentation because in this way we... We feel that the unit is stronger, yeah. What about open top wood for fermenting? W what is the advantage of that? So the, um, it's a way that it permits us to, to be very, 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 to, it permits us to be very close with, with the skin because we can see, we can touch. And also it permits us to be very soft and very gentle in the vinification because uh, we do everything we can say hands no also the punching down we go personally in the top of the the top of the vat and we do we try to do very soft pressure no it's not a, a we don't we want to avoid the mechanic extraction no so the open vat uh, it helps us to to be more soft with the skin and also we can say that we have a more oxygenation during the fermentation the open vat permit to the dioxide carbonic to go away and usually uh, we have less problem of reduction no? during the aging and also the oak uh, it permits us uh, to to have more um, constancy in the temperature no um, the, the, the changement of of the temperature in the oak they, they are more slowly no when do you start drinking the different red wines that you make? Today, I'm a drinker of quite young wine. Speaking about Barolo, I don't know, probably it's... Uh, I will change idea in the future, I don't know, but when I go out for a dinner with friends, usually I choose Barolo around 10 years old. It could be 7, 8, it could be 15, 16, depending on the, depending on the vintage, depending on the area. Of production depending on the vineyard depending on the producer but i think today for my palate uh, when the barrel is around 10 years old we still have the fruit we still have the the personality of the grape the personality of the soil so we we can say okay this is a barolo from uh, bertuno this could be a barolo from amora is uh, probably could be a Barolo from Monforte or Ginestra, no? And uh, we have already the complexity of the aging in the bottle. So for me, around 10 years is the moment where we have the, when the Barolo is more complete. It's also true that the best emotion that I had, I had emotion with Barolo, old Barolo. 
know, because uh, Barolo is a great wine uh, when when it's well aged, no. Uh, so to have emotion, older bottle. To drink Barolo with food, and to have a wine we can say more complete, uh, I prefer around 10, 10 years old. Today, uh, we'll see in the future. As you've mentioned, sometimes the tannic structure of Verduno Nebbiolo is not the same as the tannic structure in other areas of Barolo. It seems mm -hmm. more fine grain, more finesse, more yeah. elegance. Yeah. Do you find Verduno Barolo complementing a different kind of food sometimes than would be the case for? They are more versatile for sure. They are more versatile. They could be open also in an earlier moment. So uh, in this day, we are testing the 2011. It's a vintage, very specific, no? Uh, but the 2011, they are drinkable, no? And the, 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 the wine made in Verduno, they are a little bit more versatile because, you know, we don't, the, the Barolo from Verduno don't need the, the brasato. If you have the brasato, <laughs> it's perfect. But uh, with a Barolo from Verduno, you can just op open the fridge and bring a piece of cheese, a piece of Parmigiano. It's perfect. We have this gentle tanning, this, this circle tanning, more freshness, lighter, lighter structure also, no? That it, it permits to the wine to be more versatile, more easy in the matching. And what about Pelaverga? It's somewhat of a unique grape. What should I be thinking about if I were eating that with food? Usually Pelaverga is uh, our wine for the, we can say, the picnic, no? <laughs> it's a wine for the peritizer. It's a wine that we love with sausages, we love with carne cruda for road meat, no tartare de boeuf. We love with the entree, all the classic Piemontese entree, carne cruda, vitello tonnato, all the vegetable. All, I, I think Pelaverga, it's a, it's a quite modern wine, no? because uh, in the same time, is uh, uh, not too complicated, not too heavy, but plenty of personality. No? So, uh, for me, Pelaverga is uh, the perfect wine for a perfect glass of wine for lunch. No, when we want to have something not too heavy, a pasta with vegetable, uh, or uh, an entree, a vitello tonnato, or um, a caprese, pomodoro e mozzarella, or uh, you know this kind of dishes. No, not too white meat, fish. Also with fish is good Pelaverga. With tuna. It's, uh, I think, it's a good wine also for the Japanese food, no? For sushi, sashimi. And what about the vintages since the mid-90s when you arrived at the winery? What would you say about the vintages from, say, 94 till now? What have been standouts? What have been difficult? What have... <sighs> difficult. So, 94, my first vintage, I remember very well. It was not so easy because... Uh, I remember like today, we, for, we were in the vineyard. I was in the vineyard with my parents, all free at the time. We walked in the vineyard and the grave looked, they were perfect. They, they were ripe. And so we, we said, it's time to, to harvest. Tomorrow we harvest. At that time, the, the forecast in Italy, they were not so good. So um, we, it was a little bit difficult to manage the, the, the harvest, no? 
Anyway, in 94, the grades were perfect, and after it trained. So, 94, it was probably the, uh, the vintage more difficult, because after we had 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, uh, it, we didn't produce barrel at all. Uh, 2002 was not so easy, very fresh, very cold. The wine didn't have the... I speak about my wine. Eh? There isn't a common some 2002, extremely good. But anyway, in general, in general, the Barolo didn't have the the the, the materia, eh? the the backbone, eh? to the, the potential to to be a good Barolo. So we we didn't produce at all Barolo in 2002. 2003 was. Uh, Extremely different, uh, extreme in the other way, very hot and very dry. The dryness was the problem of 2003 because uh, during the, the, the maturity, um, during the summer, the, the, the plants stopped to ripe because of too much dryness. No, 2004 good, 2005 uh, also good, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. And 14 also, 14 was really challenging, uh, was, uh, was a difficult year, uh, really, really difficult year. But in the end, Nebbiolo, in, in the end, September, October, in September, October, we had um, good weather, not too warm. We can compare a little bit, 11 and 13, no? for different reasons, because uh, both vintage start, the bad, in both vintage, the bad breaks start very early. So the spring was quite warm in both vintage. In both vintage, the real summer was really bad. Also in 2011, really bad. Not really bad, but anyway, in 2011, the summer was fresh. June, July, uh, we can say we didn't have uh, we didn't have summer. But in 2011, we had the Indian summer in the late August, September, October. We had a really we had a postponed summer. So. Uh, quite warm uh, uh, fall. Huh? While in 2014, uh, we had a good fall, good September, good October, but not warm. No? So only the, the, we can say that uh, the, the, we can really see, comparing that 2011 to 2013, what the weather in September, October can change the style of the wine. No? Because 2014, very, the wine are um, really fresh. The acidity is high. Really fresh fruit in the wine. Tang with a lot of tension, a little bit more aggressive. Wine that probably need time. It doesn't have a lot of volume, but... Uh, a lot of uh, tension, no? Good, good structure. Well, in 2011, the wine are more soft, more approachable, more open, more fruity, and uh, with more density too. But in 2011, we have also good, uh, good fruit because of uh, probably because of June and July uh, were fresher, no? So we have this double phase in 2011. A lot of fruit, fresh also. But uh, the wine are quite um, quite open, no? quite approachable. Tiny are very integrated in the fruit, very smooth, open. 
you find a difference in what's a good Palaverga vintage and what's a good Nebbiolo vintage? Are those two different vintages? Or? For Palaverga, uh, we can say that the trend is quite the same. But uh, for Palaverga, it's a little bit more easy because uh, Palaverga, we drink Palaverga quite young. So it's not so important how the wine it ages. No. It's very important the balance of the wine, the quality of the wine. So for Barolo, it's a little bit more complicated because sometimes we love the, the vintage in the first years and after, and after the wine uh, uh, doesn't show very well with, with aging. No, While for Peraverga, if it's good in the first year, it's enough. No? So I think this is the, the most important difference. But uh, usually Peraverga and Biora are quite related, quite related, yeah. And what have been your favorite vintages for Barolo so far? The ones that you've worked for me? Yeah. To drink now. I love the 2001. Me too. Barolo 2001s are awesome. I love. Yeah, I love 2001. I love 99 Montvillero. Mm. To drink now also the 2004. They are quite open. They are quite drinkable. Yeah, these are free vintage, for example, that I love to drink now. And considering the older vintage, we opened some good uh, good bottle of Montvier 89, 85. I love this kind of vintage. Yeah. What about 2010? You expect good things? See, we'll see. Uh, everybody is happy about 2010. We can say it's a good vintage. Time will be, no, time will say yes, no, something. But anyway, we have a good expectation. We have a good expectation, yeah. And how have you seen the market change for the wines of Verduno? Or has it not changed? It changed. It's changing. <laughs> uh, we can say that 10, 20 years ago, the, the people, the consumer expected from uh, the Barolo. But for the wine in general, we can say wine very rich, very concentrate. Sometimes too much kid. Today the people, I feel that the people is, un, is understanding more and more the elegance in the wine. And the people is understanding more and more the difference about the Barolo, about the different village. No? And I think this is an important step, no? Because today, uh, also if the tradition of Barolo is uh, the tradition of the blend, but I think it's important to speak about uh, village parole, no? the difference between the, the different villages, because uh, we have the difference. No? And uh, today the people, uh, the parole lovers, now they are speaking about the difference between the soil. Mm? While 20 years ago Barolo was Barolo and stop. It doesn't matter if it, it was made in Serralunga or in Monforte or in Verduno. No? They expected always the bump. No? So, I think that popularity of uh, the, the wine of Fatuna is growing because of uh, this changement in the style of the of the of what the people want, what the people expect from the Barolo. And you recently expanded the cellar facility. Yeah, we made um, we renovated a part of the old older cellar, 
and we build another cellar underground just for the age in the bottle because um, we believe that the age in the bottle is very, very important. I'm not a big friend of steel tanks, especially for Nebbiolo. And uh, I think that when the, 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 the Perolo spend enough time in wood, it's time to go in bottle, stop. So, in, especially in some vintages, we are reducing a little bit the time in oak, and we go a little bit earlier in bottle, especially in the vintage a little bit more warmer, no? We were in the vintage where the tannins are more softer, and uh, uh, they don't need an extra time in oak. So you're preserving freshness by bottling earlier. We try, we try, we try, yeah. But ultimately, you're releasing at the same age. So yeah, you know, we release at the same age. Uh, we just spend more, more time in bottle. Yeah. And what other projects do you see in the next few years for GB Berlotto? What do you have planned? So we, we are replanting really nice vineyard that we, we were lucky to buy in Boscato, in the top of the hill of Boscato, top of the vineyard, really the top. We bought uh, one hectare point seven. It was a long time that we were seeing this piece of land. And up, unfortunately, in the end, we, we had the chance to buy this piece of land. So I think this, uh, this, is, this is the the project, no? In the cellar, as you said, uh, we, we have made some renovation. So I think that we'll be more and more focused in the vineyard. This is uh, an extra step that we want to do. So what might that imply in the future? More work with the GIO? See, I know we, uh, you know, we, we try to, to, I don't want to say to go in the bio direction because, uh, but to, to work more in the vineyard, to be more present in the vineyard, to understand more and more the vineyard, what the vineyard need. I think this is important no? to reduce the chemical intervention and to be more close to our plants. I think this is the, the most important way to uh, exalt the characteristic of our soil. What's the average age of vines in general? I mean, what do you what do you have? Different plots? Some, some younger, some older? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, the older vineyard that we that we have is six years old. The younger it will be the the vineyard that we are planting this spring. But usually, the average is quite quite old today. It's a good moment for us because. Um, Considering Baroque, considering Nebbiolo, we have to plant this vineyard in Boscato. But uh, uh, the old, the other other vineyard, they are they are minimum fifteen years old, fifteen twenty years old, and maximum sixty years old. So I think the vineyard in the production, they are in a good moment. No. Obviously, you make Barolo in Verduno, and you make Barolo in. Barolo, the commune, but if you could make Barolo somewhere else, where would be your choice if you could? Um... Yeah, so I think it will remain a dream because <laughs> today the vineyards are so expensive <laughs> in the Barolo era and uh, it's not so easy to buy because uh, uh, if you are not a neighbor, 
is more difficult to buy. Anyway, we are located in Verduno. We have a lot of vineyard in Verduno, and we believe a lot in Verduno. We have the chance to have a vineyard in Canubi, who is in the middle of uh, the Barovara. So the dreams, uh, or uh, yeah, it, it, it is to have a vineyard in completely in the other side. And if I can choose, I will. I can say Rock in Castillon Falletto because uh, it's in the other side of Barolo, so it's a. Uh, it's in the part of the soil where we have a little bit more structure, but it's a vineyard who really maintain the grace, the, the elegance that I love in the wine. So, rock, but uh, it would be <laughs> only a dream, I think. <laughs> Fabio Alessandria of GB Berlotto, he's making consistent improvements and still dreaming as well. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you to you, Levi, to invite me, and thank you for the, the, all the people that will uh, listen to the records. Fabio Alessandria of GB Berlotto. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levi Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.